Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Eiffel Power. That provided by the Slack group, and I'll find out the exact person who gave it to us through the course of the show. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. Good afternoon, Matt. And good evening, Spanners. What an excitement to be here after yet another fun race it was good i i enjoyed that race lots was happening all the way through and um it's not often that you see a safety car kind of make to you know make the race worse towards the end of the race you go, oh a safety car it's all going to kick off now uh but it didn't but apart from that the race had a lot to say for itself it had a lot of intrigue and it had a lot of action actually yeah and once again we benefit from going to a track we haven't visited in a while we benefit from unusual weather conditions and we benefit from a very very racy I don't know. Can we even call them the midfield anymore? I don't know that we can. <laughs> we shall discuss. We shall. Um, I'm going to say some things that we're going to talk about during the show. And then um, and then you can decide whether they're things you want to listen to because you're going to agree with me or things you want to listen to because they're going to anger you. Right. Um, it was Lydia, by the way, in our Slack group who came up with Eiffel Power as the title of our show today. So I am going to say later in the show that Bottas seems more willing to share. And the more he shares, the more we see the frustration and the anger underneath. I'm going to say Perez was robbed. Know your bias. Uh, I'm going to say we didn't need that safety car. I'm going to say it was a showbiz safety car. I think every track needs to dig a hole in turn one tomorrow and make it like that turn one. I think Albon was stopped largely because Red Bull didn't want to see any more from him today. And I'll tell you what, uh, why I think Gasly is no longer going to Red Bull. I did some digging after hearing Paul DeResta's comment. 
but I'll also tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. I aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining us in the shed, we have philanthropist and nighttime vigilante crime fighter, Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you. Looking forward to getting stuck into what I thought was a fantastic Grand Prix. Absolutely brilliant. No, I haven't seen a single mention of it being a boring race, which is which is nice for a change. Is that because you've muted the correct Twitter accounts? Correct. <laughs> Fair enough. And we also have our own answer to Wheeler Dealer Del Boy, London-based rising YouTube star Alex Jeansy Van Jean, who definitely lives in London because anything in the M25 is London. It's hard for darling, but yes, no. I'm looking forward to really, really upsetting Schumacher fans today. Oh, it's it's, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Look, I I think um we get a lot of abuse for being Hamfosi, you and I, Alex. But I don't think too many people can begrudge us this moment. We've been wait we've been waiting and watching for Lewis to break these records. Uh, it hasn't been easy in the first few years, and now we're enjoying these kind of green pastures of him winning everything after over, after getting through the Rosberg blip, after getting through the Ferrari Vettel uh, challenge. And now on the other side, we're seeing him start to stretch his legs. And, you know, Schumacher had those kind of years too. So people can't begrudge us too much glee seeing him get to 91 wins. They might not begrudge us today, but they will begrudge us possibly on the next review when he overtakes Schumacher. <laughs> so, um, but no, I, he has gone through a hard time uh, in parts of his career. He's gone through a seven-year green patch you know where everything's been purple patch where everything's been been fantastic for him um but i think if you look at his career versus schumacher's career i think you can actually see if you look at years that they were good and years that they were bad it's pretty even but just it's the chunks they come in yeah uh so you know it was it was a nice touch kyle getting the the helmet from from mick schumacher it was a you know it's a genuinely touching thing he had the same thing with the senna helmet as well and kind of nice that the Schumacher family uh, chose a a Mercedes helmet as well. It, it all linked in beautifully. You know, it could have been, you know, a classic early 2000s Ferrari helmet, but they went for that and and it was lovely. Yeah, it was lovely. For me, As um, I was a lifelong Schumacher fan. He was my hero, kind of still is. Um, I thought it was very fitting that it was, the record was not broken, but equaled at his, at Schumacher's home race and, it was just, as Brundle said in the commentary, it was such a shame that Michael wasn't there to hand that helmet over himself, but it was such a touching, nice little feature they did. And when they went to one of the Sky um, advert breaks, they did a lovely little montage of Michael and Lewis equaling the record. So for me, that was quite touching. Yeah, very good. I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit more of that later when we get to the podium. But I think if we start with the on-track action, uh, th- that track, I don't think, disappointed. It was a challenge to overtake on, um, but it was still, I don't know, it was still very racy, Matt. And I, I, I'm especially enamoured with turn one. Well, not just turn one, but that whole opening complex, mm. one, two, three, into four, saw so much just really wonderful wheel-to-wheel action all the way from the very top of the field with Hamilton and Bottas and Verstappen all the way to the last, uh, the chase for the last championship points with Vettel and Magnussen even at the end of the race, keeping things exciting. It's just genius. There are multiple lines. It's an error generator of magnificent proportions. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, let's go back there as often as we can manage. That's what I'd say. No, I agree. For spectacle, it's fantastic. As a driver, it's horrible to do any sort of braking zone that's downhill and off camber is literally the worst thing, which is why you just saw so many people use it going off the track um, from the very start of the race all the way through the race. So, But it, as, as a spectacle, it was fantastic. Yeah, and adding to that, it was nice to see the FIA not picking them up on the track limits on the outside of turn one, allowing the side by side and and going through, because I think they may be recognised that we're going to have some fantastic racing here. So saying cars can't go out there was going to deprive us a little bit. And we saw some brilliant side by side three there. Uh, yeah, so that turn two is, uh, it's like, it's easy to get on the power early and make mistakes. And you can still fight into the turn three and four complex. But what that turn one adverse camber did was mean that cars could pop out of the exit of turn one side by side. And it was it's kind of like uh, Hungaro Ring, actually, in that respect, where you then get the, the battles into the following turn. But I think it might be like the severity of the dip of, as well, Carl. Like, it really does go away. Um, and the, the drivers have got to really gamble if they wanted to get up onto the very inside of the apex because that's where the dip is biggest. And then you just saw guys, like, you really saw understeer here and you could see it. Um, there were particular examples that we'll talk to talk about and whose fault is this. But you could see the guys having to open the steering back up again. And that is something that I've learned uh, from 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 Brad is that when when the car is moving forward, even though you're putting lock on, that's understeer. And you actually have to counterintuitively open the steering to get the tires doing the work again and turning back in. And you just got you got to see the F1 drivers doing this over and over again. Yeah, that was brilliant. You have to open the wheel up to get the tires to reconnect then you can start putting the lock back on. But it's brilliant. Uh, basically, it's uh, the inside tyre's worst nightmare, uh, a, co- a corner like that. It, yeah, it's designed to cause lockups. And, as, and with the nature of these tyres, they're quite delicate, as we saw with um, Albon. A lockup there could be a potential racing-ending incident, as it was back for Kimi in 2005. Not sort of there, but yeah, you can see what a major lockup can utterly destroy your race in one second. Uh, I mean, it's not only just that that corner is off camber. It's so much off camber. Your wheel comes off the ground. So you're actually going through that corner a lot of the time on three wheels. So you'll see a lockup, but no smoke because the tire is actually off the ground. And that's why it's stopped, which means you've got a third less braking capacity because you've got a wheel off the ground. Yeah. And, I, and actually all around the course. So in the center. So after turn four, all the way around to the chicane. Yeah, it's a bit follow my leader. But a lot of tracks are like that. And what it means is that, you know, there's a little bit of a tactical element to it. And, you know, you are just almost in a time trial trying to set yourself up for the, the section from the chicane all the way to turn four. And it just meant we got really good racing. You don't need to be able to pass every single place on the track. Having some areas where you can follow, a, a, where you have to follow are fine, as long as you've got bits that have got genuinely good racing as well. And I have to be honest, I, I, Alex, I've, I've forgotten since 2013, like I've forgotten the good impression I had of this track but yeah i'm happy i'm happy with the racing today yeah no sort of echoing your point about you don't need to overtake it every single corner the whole point of overtaking is overtaking is a tactical thing and it's a skill and you know even in things like karting when you're on a small tight twisty kart circuit you spend laps eyeing somebody up yeah figuring out where they're strong figuring Mm. out figuring out where they're weak and then exploiting where they're weak to then open them up and then you make your move. So the thing is, the problem is, is traveling in a train like that doesn't look massively exciting for the fans, <laughs> but for the drivers, for the guy chasing, he's like, ah, 
I want to get you. And the guy behind is like, please leave me alone. But it's, it's the tension that's there. And um, it works really, really well. And you've just got to accept that an overtake on a track like this isn't going to happen every lap. But when it does, it's going to be good. Yeah. And with the nature of the corners, it's a rather a, a sort of set up an overtake track. It's not one where you just got one big zone and that is the only place you can get it done. With the whole first section, you can get somebody out out of position, get yeah. them on the inside. You can then take the wide line and have this crossover. And it's just, yeah, yeah, brilliant. It's a bit like Brooklyn's into Luffield. There's a few little sections like that where you can set people up. So a move can take three laps in the making. And we even saw brilliantly, Matt, with Leclerc and and Perez, we saw you know where that can go wrong. And, and perhaps Leclerc was smart to lift off, wait for the DRS activation zone, and then go and get Perez back, which was very, very frustrating. And, and clever, but not as bad as uh, Rosberg and Hamilton in Malaysia, for example, where they would literally just trade places yeah. because the two were back to back. Yeah, yeah. And finally, yeah. finally, Braun had to say, look, you're going to have to cut it out because you're going to blow both of the cars up. Yep. Uh, yeah. And don't worry, Matt. I, the next thing I was going to roll around to was power units blowing up. Uh, what was going on? It's cold. Did the engines not like the cold? I'm not sure I like this. I'm not sure... I like unreliability deciding so many of the results. Well, you know, that was that was the speculation. Um, if I'm going to run through real quick the causes of unreliability, it was yeah, hers okay. or MGUH for Botas, um, hydraulics, I believe, for Ocon. Um, not sure for Norris, um, but he'd already Fire. had a PU replaced um, after qualifying yesterday because Renault saw an issue. And then for Albon, it was actually, he took a stone and uh, went through his radiator and punctured it. And so he was getting overheating. That's why they retired him. So, I th- so Sorry, Matt. I have, a theory, I have a theory about Albon. I think he got fired mid-race. <laughs> okay. I was like, right, he's done two lockups. He's hit somebody. Just, you're done, mate. Well, uh, get, get off. And I like Albon, but wow, today was bad. We've got a whole Albon I, segment coming up. We do. We do. So I will save my rejoinder for then. But if he was fired, I think it was probably before the race, not during. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting chat there. Um, Looking at the Norris thing, the engine was overheating, I think, at the rear. And you could actually see it bubbling away on the on the paintwork on the outside. That was fascinating to see. Like, oh, my goodness, the inside bits are trying to get to the outside, Lando. That is that is not good. So I, I didn't like that. I didn't particularly love unreliability being a, a factor today. Well, we lost drivers we didn't need to lose. We lost a battle up out of the front. Um, we lost Lando Norris in a great fight for a podium position, a three-way scrap. I don't know. And People hark back to the unreliability of the 90s. We had a big taste of it today, and I didn't like it. But was it, I think, the, was it the cold weather that was causing all of that, do you think? I think it definitely played its part. They don't run a lot in temperatures in that range, and they had no Friday practice to identify potential issues and fix them. So I, I think the combination, like I, I know for Norris, it started out being a sensor issue. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it could have been a sensor that wound up s- shutting the whole engine down and causing that problem if it wasn't reading properly. And in, in extreme weather, as I'm sure you're very well aware, things like sensors and small things like that can often not work the way they're supposed to. Kyle? Yeah, and also we're we're sort of seeing, seeing it, but kind of not really realizing that or or understanding or um, commenting on the fact that these engines and power units, not the whole thing's entirety, but the individual components, some of them are probably getting quite tired now. It's the 11th Grand Prix, and they say you've had a new power unit. That might just be 
whether it's the whole thing. I know we had a few new power units failing, but on quite a lot of those cars, there's probably quite a lot of tired components at this point in the season. Well, and you'd be correct, at least as far as Ocon is concerned, because he was still on his second power unit relative to Ricardo's third. So they definitely seem to be pushing how many races they could get out of him on that unit. And I don't know if that's just to give him an advantage at the uh, end of the season or not. But the colder, the more extreme the weather, the more things will go wrong with any kind of mechanical reliability would be my general prescription. And being here in this weather was certainly a test, I think, for the teams and for Pirelli and, and for everybody. I know you don't like unreliability, but I love them racing in unusual weather and presenting the teams with challenges they don't normally have. That bit is fun. So quite a key factor there that you touched upon was the fact that there was no Friday running and a lot of people seem very happy with that idea. I think, Cole, you like them not having the prep, but I think we may have seen why Friday practice makes the race better. So let's fight about that. Well, I'm ultimately a fan of watching Formula One cars on track as well. So originally when it all sort of, there was murmured of only two day weekends, I was dead against it. But as I put in the notes, because is this a big, is this a big sort of yes for seeing that two day weekends could actually work? Cause it's nice. They're not having that much long run data. FP3 was brilliant because it was absolutely crowded. So I've kind of started to change my opinion a little bit. And all of the drivers seem to say, well, Perry's actually come out point blank and said it, we have way too much practice. So would it have changed the result? Maybe not, but I'm now starting to think that maybe two-day weekends are are a viable alternative. It's a viable alternative when the weather plays a key factor, but also we can talk about how much we like it or we want. It's not going to happen because the sponsors aren't going to pay the money they currently pay to see their names less on a car, because that's part of the reason they want Friday running is they get extra two sets of 90 minutes to have their car running with their sponsors on it. Okay, well... Matt, here's why I think it it hurt the sport, because the sport is too complicated to only have a two-day weekend. The cars are too complicated to only have a two-day weekend. We can't have races where the reason why someone won was because their competitor wasn't able to have their software engineer uh, tweak what would happen to the car after 30 laps. They're just too complicated to do it, to have a car just suddenly grind to a halt. All right, Jeans, you get in first. Um, to have a car just grind to a halt because they couldn't run, do a long run, you go, oh, great. How, how thrilling. Or have your driver with play in his steering wheel because it's not, and talking about his steering wheel being loose and then not being able to fix it uh, because he obviously had a dead zone on it. Uh, Matt. Well, then he shouldn't have been moving it back and forth to doss it all the way down the straightaway into turn one on his qualifying lap, then should he? No, that was an interesting choice by the FIA to say that that was not a fixable problem, that it wasn't a mechanical problem, that it was simply a matter of comfort and he would have to live with it. It didn't seem to make a big difference. The DAS system worked anyway. It's not like that was broken. But I I absolutely, I'm on Kyle's side with this. First of all, the two-day weekend is an absolute test of the entire team and not just the driver. So for those of us who watch this sport for more than just, oh my gosh, look at the driver, he's so fast. I feel attacked. It's kind of fun to see them you know, put, see, see them put to the test a little bit. And secondly, uh, if we're going to have 25 races in a season, you're looking at some two-day weekends, A, to make the schedule tenable for the teams, and B, what you're going to be able to get is going to some of these lesser 
traveled tracks that were on this year because they're going to be charging the promoters. The promoters will have to pay less money because they're only getting two days of running. So we'll have a wider selection of tracks available to us because everyone won't be stuck on this massive three-day fee. Yeah, and adding to that, would you rather see some more practice sessions or more races? I think I'd rather have, as long as the races stay the same length, I didn't like the talk of let's make two races and a qualifying race. Don't like that. As long as they stay an actual Grand Prix length, but more, I'd rather have 25 to 27 races and lose Friday. I think, I think I'm now coming around to this, to this type of thinking. Carl, I'm struggling to get your beard in shot. This is an absolute <laughs> nightmare. It's so long. What are you doing? Uh, tangible laziness, you could say, but also it's, um, it's good for wisdom. So I'm told you can, you can stroke it. I didn't and, think yeah, that. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting to the point where I can get a hairband into it and make a plait out of it. And I'll probably get to that point and then, and then I'll shave it off because I'll look like an old past it hippie. Okay. So he, interesting tidbit there, Alex. He, he thinks he doesn't already look like an old past it hippie. So that was an interesting thing to learn. Okay. Yeah, Kyle's not, Kyle's not quite aware of what he looks like. But well, bless him. At oh. least he smells nice. Oh, you're gorgeous and you do smell nice. Sorry, Carl. Sorry for that distraction. I was just playing with the, I was just playing with the shots there. Uh, let's see. Stuart Neal in the chat room. Uh, talking about Lewis Hamilton and his loose steering wheel. Lance had something loose too. Oh, you are naughty, Stuart. Uh, yes, of course, Lance Stroll uh, with some... Uh, uh, some Lance stool <laughs> with some intestinal distress. I don't know. Uh, look, he had the poops and he couldn't race. And that's completely understandable. That's not like a man up, you know. That's like a, oh, in our day, we used to have poops and then we go driving and we didn't care. We just did it in kecks. We were fine. Now, that's not that you can't drive when you're in that condition. So biggest, biggest sympathies to Lance Stroll, and I hope he recovers well. But there was a an interesting leak of a Racing Point security camera where a tall, handsome man was caught, you know, milling around the, the, the kitchens of the Racing Point cafeteria. Because that's two of them now. Mysteriously, Perez loses his race seat for two races from a chef with COVID-19. And then also Lance Stroll has to, has to miss it with intestinal distress. So I am calling shenanigans, Matt. That is Nico Hulkenberg. He is messing with their food so he can get driving seat time. Uh, genius, really. Genius. Absolutely. Best agent in the business. He will do literally anything to get Hulk back into that seat. Yep. There we go. And I did I did use leaks um, in an unfortunate manner there. All right. right. So uh, Hulkenberg, I'm sure we'll talk about Hulkenberg and, and how well he did. Uh, he, the fact is he only had qualifying to leap into it so no surprise at all to see him line up p20 but it it does show again with the practice without the practice this is a driver who raced last season this is a driver who has done it two grand prix this weekend and he wasn't able to just jump in and get on pace so if we didn't have the friday alex we'd have a lot of hulkenbergs on on a saturday afternoon yeah but you know with, with regards to hulkenberg now i like nico he is a good driver, and he proved this weekend that he can jump in a car at, bearing in mind, at 11 o'clock, I think he got the phone call on Saturday, had to drive wow. from Cologne <laughs> to the track, which is unbelievable. And to jump in the car, bearing in mind, when it came to qualifying, I would have expected them to put there, go out and do 10 minutes running, and then bring him in to do his qualifying lap. But they didn't. They sent him out. He did one lap. He came back into the pits and sat there for ages and then did another run. So he literally got no running. So his performance was impressive. Yeah, yeah, But totally. before everyone gets really, really, really excited about Nico Hulkenberg and, oh, well, Nico should have a drive for next year and he should be driving this year, 
it's not like he hasn't been in the sport for 10 years yeah, and hasn't had the opportunity. And every single time he's had the opportunity, he's crashed or wiped somebody out or gone off on his own. All right. So I'm not crapping on Nico because I like him. But everyone who thinks that he's been hard done by, he's had 10 years to make it work. Sure, Carl. He's not a plucky uppercomer. No, no, he's not. He's very much a journeyman. I'd personally like to see him in. Um, the thing that going on what Alex sort of said, and it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that he's done a solid job. A thing that works in his favour this weekend was losing Friday. So the other drivers had only had one extra yes. session. So they're on yeah, the back foot yeah. anyway. So that actually played into his hands quite a lot. But um, I would very much like to see Hulkenberg in a competitive car next year. And Brundle made a little comment during the race, didn't he? He said... Um, Maybe he's um, maybe he's looking at a Red Bull drive. Okay, stop talking about Perez's seat like that. Trumpets. Yeah, I just wanted to check in. He was actually already headed to the circuit anyway to do some television work, um, which was also pointed out by Lydia, um, neighbor of our show. Uh, and and I think the interesting thing was he hadn't bothered to bring his, his uh, fancy helmet with him. So I think he got stuck with a standard issue, whatever I could get my hands on helmet instead. Oh, uh, no way. Oh, honestly, it makes a difference not having your own kit. Being a like I've always said, having your own gear for any form of racing is is absolutely at the minimum requirement. I hammer in the chat suggests that Otmeyer needs to be Otmeyer Schaffnauer needs to be careful as Hulkenberg will end up being the standing team principal as well if he were to get ill. Uh, let's go to the front of the grid then, on to qualifying. Uh, Alex, we 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 give Bottas a fair bit of stick. Um, we definitely think think Hamilton's better than him, but. Bottas came that Q3, and that was a that was a semi knockout blow because Lewis Hamilton looked like he was on the ropes. He looked like he was wobbly on his legs afterwards. He looked shell shocked. He was just like, "Um, what? I don't know why." It it feels like normally when Bottas is on pole, maybe you can point to like some mistake Lewis made or something. But I get the feeling that Lewis absolutely got his best lap in, still got beaten by two tenths by Bottas, and was like, "Why is this happening?" I've only ever really given. Um, Bottas stick about his race pace. His quality pace has always been fantastic. Unfortunately, it's the guy he's up against that always causes a problem. He's always a hundredth off or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, Bottas looked instantly at home this weekend and instantly kind of comfortable. And Lewis again looked like he had to kind of build to it. I think I think Lewis likes Friday because I think Lewis can just yes. slowly work his way through a process. Um, he obviously has a process that works for him that gets him to that absolute maximum point for qualifying that he hasn't been able to do. So maybe Bottas is just better at getting up to speed than Lewis is. Um, but, but yeah, but three, almost three tenths up on, up on Lewis. Fantastic job, Bottas. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll see straight away, won't we? Because the next race is at Imola and it's a short weekend as well. What's the program for? No, it's a full program. Okay, correct me, next, Matt. Next week is Portugal. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Portugal. I missed Portugal out. Do you, you know why? You know why I've missed Portugal out? <laughs> I know why it is. I know that people don't like us talking about iRacing, but we have got the second round of our iRacing tournament to the, towards the end of the month. That is at Imola. Apologies. We went Nürburgring, Imola. Uh, so we have got, what have we got then? We've got uh, Portimao next and then Imola. Yeah. Okay. So we'll still get, let's see how, let's see how Hamilton does at Imola, a track they've not been to for a while without Friday practice. Oh, right. Yes. Without Friday practice, which will make it fun. And Portimao, a track they've never been to, which will also make it fun. Cool. All right. So uh, do you want to 
do you want, I'll throw you a bone, Matt. We'll talk about power units if you want. Okay. Why did why did Ferrari end up fourth? Is it simply because Leclerc is an absolute legend who wrestled that beast, dragging and kicking? He got out of the car at the chicane, hitched a rope to the Ferrari, and said, "No, you follow me now, car." And that's how he got it to fourth place on the grid. Is that is that how it happened? He was a monster, savagely thrashing that miserable Ferrari around the circuit, driving to 110% of its capabilities, what? which isn't a thing. It's, yeah. You can't drive it to 110%. That's not a thing. I'm yeah. sorry. So what not. happened? Why no. was the Ferrari suddenly fourth? Well, I, I had a bit of an interesting conversation with our friend Summers about this. And it, it, I noted that it wasn't just Ferrari. You know who else did well? Haas did really well. Ah. They were in Q2, and Grosjean was actually... Uh, he was fifth in the first qualifying session, except for they disallowed his lap because he went the tiniest bit over out of uh, turn four, I believe that it was. It wasn't like a massive off. It was just like, oh, just like a half inch beyond the line. They did really well. In fact, the Ferrari powered cars did really well in qualifying compared to what you might expect them to do. And that was a lot down to the fact that it was cold outside. And if we think about why Ferrari was doing the illegal things that they weren't doing, <laughs> one of the major advantages of running extra fuel into a cylinder head is that it cools the cylinder yeah. head and allows for better combustion, reduces knock, and increases power. And for short stints here, the cold air and the cold temperatures gave Ferrari back some of that performance, which is why we saw our friend Charles do so very, very well in qualifying. And then so very, very average in the race because the race is longer, the engine heats up, and then they lose that performance. Well, there we go, Alex, just because it was cold outside. Yeah, sing songs. Yeah, that, that was going to be my question was, is that the reason? Because also we saw people like Mercedes packaging the car really, really tightly because they didn't have to worry so much about cooling. Uh, however, um, Vermins in the chat did say that um, maybe it was better on Ferrari powered cars this this weekend because there was lots of downhill sections oh, oh come on vermins that is that is mean kyle say less mean things i was going to say something very nice about charles Leclerc. um although i agree with 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 matt and that great insight into the engine cooling i still think that leclerc is outperforming the car and that ferrari had no right to be in the first two rows on the grid okay just to see by his race performance and he was the cork in the bottle look at daniel ricard i think they lost 17 seconds to the front three just because Leclerc was just had a massive train behind him and I wrote in my personal notes that just shows how much of an amazing lap Leclerc did in qualifying yeah okay we're not taking away all the credit well done Charles Leclerc I think um I think we should move on to the race and this is where we turn to Matt two rumpets to tell us where the race was won and lost and um, I was having a little random memory Matt back to about three years ago and i had started going matt two rumpets at the beginning of shows and i'd really impressed myself and made myself giggle and then you made some comment i don't know it must have been on our facebook group or something where you said spanners saying two rumpets haunts my dreams and i was like oh yeah oh yeah no i didn't even think to say like maybe he hates it but uh i'm sorry well I'm, i'm assuming it's just part of breathing in and out on missed apex now yeah, there's there's no changing any of that now. It is a <laughs> fixture in our universe. Sorry. Uh, yeah, tell us where the race was won and lost. Oh, and you know I've been waiting to say this word. Tires. 
tires and the weather. I mean, tires have been Hamilton's advantage forever. Yeah. And they were ultimately Botas' downfall into turn one if we were to believe his post-race interview that it was cold graining that caught Botas out. Although I have a theory. Tell I have us a theory it. and I'll share it with you later. Oh, you'll forget. You like. Tell us now. Okay. I'll tell you now. My theory is that by winning the battle in turn one, Botas lost the war. Because going forward, he was in front. The Mercedes. Now, let's understand. We're talking about he locked up his front tire when he made his mistake into lap 12, into lap 13, uh, uh, beginning of lap 13, into lap 12. He locked up the front tire. And being the least raked car on the grid means that their front tires were being used far less in terms of the energy put through them than, than any other team besides Racing Point. However, Hamilton being behind Botas meant that he was using more of his front tires for traction, putting more energy through them, helping to keep them in the window longer, giving him better braking into turn one. And I'm just going to say the final thing for the audience at home to understand that as the laps went on, first of all, Botas did a very fast couple of laps after the start. But as the tread wears down, which is the bit on top, above the bulk, the bulk is a separate structure. As the tread wears down, it gets harder and harder to maintain the proper temperature in the tread. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Botas would have suffered more from graining the tires because they weren't as hot because he wasn't needing to use as much energy because the downforce was doing that job for him. Whereas behind Hamilton, and I checked every lap, he was within one to one and a half seconds behind Botas till the mistake when he passed him. Hamilton would have been using those fronts more because he was losing front downforce being that close to Botas in his dirty air. So it may have been that mistake was less Mm. a mistake than just plain old physics coming home to roost. Maybe. Hang on, Carl. (laughs) I I feel like we should sort of applaud a bit, shouldn't we really? That that was... It was quite a quite a monologue, that, and um, you know, and I didn't get frustrated or bored. I was, I was sat back enjoying it. <laughs> Kyle, follow that, you hairy idiot. <laughs> I was gonna half half agree and half counter. So, um, yeah, Lewis actually was started to complain on the first couple of laps, saying this pace is really really hot. And Lewis said after the race that um, he could see that Valtteri, um, once Valtteri got blasted back past him and they fought fought he was just like right how am i going to get back past Valtteri? i need to start looking after the tires so he went into tire conservation mode um that's maybe why max was hanging on so well and bottas was pushing really hard like lewis complained that it was a super fast pace then lewis said he saw bottas start to start to struggle with graining yeah. so i think lewis knew bottas was going to burn his tires lewis just started to close up and he's like now it's my time to attack and that's when the mistake came so i think that just plays into lewis's mastery of tire management regardless of how much he complains on the radio about it he knows what he's doing and as soon as bottas got back past lewis started playing the long game and it ended up being quite a short game i mean it was an all right monologue it was not bad. It was no trumpets downforce effect on tyres and graining, but it was okay, Kyle. Uh, it was not too bad. But it's a familiar story, isn't it? Uh, whenever we see Hamilton ahead, the gap goes to about four or five seconds. Whenever Bottas gets ahead, we tend to see this very familiar pattern of Hamilton holding station at 1.5 to 2 seconds, just out or towards the end of the aero wash zone. And then it's always towards the end of that first stint, normally on the qualifying tyre, that Hamilton is able to then close back and be ruthless. 
Well, it's also interesting to me that it was his front tires that locked up rather than mm. rather than, you know, normally his rears go wrong. Usually they adjust the brake bias to keep that sort of thing from happening. So, I mean, you could say maybe Hamilton was better at adjusting the bias or nailing the number as the tires were changing than him. But I really do feel like given the fundamental design of the Mercedes, being behind Botas in that opening phase did hand Lewis a bit of an advantage when it came to, to maintaining those front tires. And Got it. those front tires are critical into turn one. Quite possibly, but as the nature of the circuit, um, there's lots of long, long corners. That, that first section going on to the second section, there's lots of long sort of high load corners for for the front tires. So, um, and as and as Lewis actually said, he could see Bottas was starting to struggle. So he could see where he's going. He's probably taking more out of his tires and he could just gauge himself off of Bottas. But I think it just plays more into Hamilton's hands of he really knows how to look after those tires and he's letting Bottas just burn his. So Hamilton yeah. can see Bottas pulling away through some of those faster sections and thinking, I might just hang back here a little bit, let you, let you go and let you go and pull away. So, um, Actually, and the fact that he's in the dirty air makes it even, well, even worse. He, he can maybe keep his tires hotter, but he's obviously taking and putting more energy into them. Yeah. But, but like, right, you put more energy, he's then going to be removing more rubber just purely from thermal degradation that he's getting. So it, I'm, I'm not sure where I sit on that one. Well, I would just add to that. I would agree with you were it not for the fact that if Botas was not hitting his fronts consistently in the window, then he's losing more tread due to cold graining than Hamilton is. So okay. I really see it as, as more of a wash in that regard. So uh, Van Jean, Alex Jeansy Van Jean, at Alex Van Jean on Twitter, Alex Van Jean on YouTube, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. You can watch Alex wildly experimenting with overly complicated home YouTube setups. But, you know, you're YouTubing, you're getting out there, you're doing it. The only way to do it is to uh, is to do it. And that is what you're doing. You're putting out low quality after low quality video and improving everything <laughs> no that's what we all did that's what we all do that's what we all do you it, just have to you can't make it perfect you have to just do the video and keep doing it and have everyone yell at you and then try again with a different setup it's quite funny actually when i put out my i watched back my first couple of streams which were only a couple of months ago and i'm like damn that was terrible <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually quite happy with the way i've got them at the moment i've actually gone and looked at a bunch of other streamers and I'm like, actually, it looks all right. I constantly ask Kyle what he thinks because Kyle is incredibly critical of everything. So um, he's a decent person to have to uh, ask questions to. But no, I am streaming. I'm streaming. So every Wednesday, I'm streaming my um, F1 series, which was at the Nürburgring this week, which was um, sim racing. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, sim racing, which was, which, which was interesting. Had a terrible first race and a great second race. So you can go back and watch that. Uh, actually got my first win here well so, done. Um, as well go and follow alex uh at alex van jean v-a-n-g-e-e-n on uh on youtube and twitter uh, but alex lewis really has an unfair advantage in race pace and you said the only place we really criticize bottas is on race pace but it really is this first zone it's the fact that that bottas struggles on his tires at the beginning of a, of a stint and he seems to, especially on the qualifying tire and then he really seems to suffer towards the end of a stint compared to Lewis. So we're not really seeing purely racer versus racer in these scenarios because Lewis has got that unfair advantage that he's earned by being better on the tyres. But at the end of every first stint, you know Hamilton's got a massive advantage. So I feel both for, sorry for Bartas in a way because we're not seeing what they would be like on a in a Formula Ford battle or in a uh, kart track or something like that. 
I think tyre management is key to anything that you drive. It just means that Lewis is using less inputs. I mean, I know people hate us comparing things to things like iRacing, but um, with me, I'm not that great on the tyres on the particular thing that I'm doing at the moment. But I had somebody, funny enough, he's in this this group. I had Kyle watching me and he said, oh, if you just turn a little bit less, get on the power a little bit early, a little bit later, then all of a sudden you start to save your tyres. And it 100% works. So there's obviously something that Lewis does with the way that he takes the corners. Maybe he's able to get in and carry more speed than Bottas is is able to. And he's able to look after the tyres while doing the same thing. But also, if you're more consistent, you save the tyres. If you're less consistent, you destroy the tyres. So maybe if you have a look at Bottas's pace, maybe he's actually less consistent and less in the same places, which could affect his tyre wear. Also goes to see, um, to show what what sort of cars the people like. So Hamilton is sort of quite well known, a bit like Schumacher, liking it on having a pointy front end and liking having a car with lots of rotation in, into it. So if you set a car up like that, you're naturally not going to be putting as much steering lock and a much load into your front tyres as you were if you had a naturally under understeer car like Fernando Alonso, 2005-2006 sort of Renault style where you're having to throw the car at the corner. Um, that could be something to do with it. It really all just comes down to managing your slip angles, doesn't it? Let's move on, Matt. Where did we get to in One and Lost? Uh, well, we're, we've made it all the way to point two now, which was <laughs> your bugaboo, the one you hated. Reliability played yeah. a massive role in the outcome of today's race. I mean, we lost. I mean, we did all this argument about Botas, and we could talk about how, you know, his brilliant battle taking first place back from Lewis, which garnered him some praise from. Uh, the Schumacher tying one. Uh, yeah. Although, as we know, how Lewis Ooh, likes to yeah, yeah. use praise. <laughs> yes. yes, you can. I, damn I had with, that in there for you. You can damn with faint. You can damn with faint praise, can't you? You're like, oh, he nearly got me. Such a good try. Well done, Valtteri. So nice to see him trying so hard. Oh my goodness! Did you see? Did you see? He nearly put me off, Kyle. Did you see? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I was actually cringing when he was saying that, and I was like, he, he may as well just walked up to Bottas, patted him on the top <laughs> of the head and given him a cupcake and said, yeah, Tron, there you go. He was so condescending to him. It was um, it, it was brilliant. But then um, Rosberg said the same in the Sky thing afterwards. He was like, look at, look at, look at Valtteri. So um, oh, if I was Valtteri listening to that, I'd be, I'd be quite upset. <laughs> Poking aside with regards to that was it was actually a really, really good move. He literally, he, he did what we've always wanted Bottas to do, which is actually fight. He didn't give up and go, oh, he's got past me now, I'm going to move on. He literally fought to try and get the position back. So I do give him a bit of respect for that, even if he got massively patronised for it. Patronised he might be, but I would put the entire handling of the episode down to lessons he learned when uh, Rosberg was on track with him. Because I think I think that upped his psychological game rather a lot. Uh, yeah, but the, the psychological game has been completely won by Lewis Hamilton. In this scenario, you could argue that Rosberg had the upper psychological hand on Lewis Hamilton in their time together. But Bottas has been completely defeated mentally and on the racetrack. And he, he is now being much more vocal um, in interviews. He's starting to really express himself. He's arguing back with people on like his social media accounts and stuff. He did his, you know, his uh, to who it main concern again, you know, play your hits, Valtteri, encore and all that. Um, he's going to need another one soon uh, when he wins again. But, you know, doing that after you've been being soundly beaten all season, it kind of it was kind of hollow. It felt hollow as well because of the penalties with Lewis Hamilton uh, that he had in the last race too. And I, I just, I feel like we're getting a real input and insight now, Matt, into the, the frustration that's building up for Bottas and, Lewis Hamilton has a permanent slot in Bottas's head, and I don't see how that ever turns around. Well, uh, Lewis is an older driver. He has the experience, and he has the talent. And I, I will say, I will agree with Jeansy that, that I, although I think Lewis uses it as a psychological tool, the fact that, that Lewis had him through turn one, dead to right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and yet did somehow have, Valtteri yeah. came out ahead by the time they got to turn three. That's not a nothing. That no. is absolutely positively not a nothing. And it is an interesting sign uh, from someone that has been pilloried for his lack of ability true. to deal with wheel-to-wheel action. Yeah, that's true. And it, it was fantastic uh, there. And look, look, Booz Baron says, Lewis, after qualifying, uh, was pouting, uh, striping moods, wearing me down. So tough to be a seven-time millionaire, bazillionaire uh world championship driver and that's booze baron in the chat who must be if you hate lewis that much to type that uh, you must be hurting that he can come back and fight back hard and although we say lewis hamilton uh, sorry bottas was fighting hard into turn two and and to maintain the lead he does all of that and still lewis can come on uh, and overpower him towards the end of the stint and i think we're going to see that frustration starting to build with bottas we're seeing you know that there is no more ice man uh, type finish exterior uh, Alex, I think we're going to start seeing frustrated and spiky porcupine Bottas. It's funny what it's done to the psyche. So by seeing Bottas go pole, Lewis second with Max third in qualifying, in my head I was like, oh, awesome, we've got a race. We're going to see Lewis and Max try and attack, try and attack Valtteri. If Lewis had been on pole, a lot of people would have been like, huh. Well, uh, the thing is, like we spent, like I said, we spent all this time arguing about Bottas. But the fact of the matter is, looking at the race, he didn't matter. His car went kaput. 
it was done, but it was not the only one. But his car going kaput opened the magic door for the midfield. There is now a podium spot on offer. And in short order, we saw Ocon, who was uh, five seconds back of Perez when he went out, out of the race with reliability issues. And then Norris, who was actually in third place and looking like no one could touch him, also out of the race. And finally, Albon, who was, i um, going to check my notes here, 10 seconds back of Ricardo when he was called in. So it's not like he was out of that fight either, quite frankly. All of those cars were out of the race for good due to reliability issues of various kinds, mostly power unit related, except for Albon. And I know some people are like, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. But ask yourself this, if Albon on newer tires was 10 seconds back of Ricardo, would you retire him because you didn't like his lockups? I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. Okay, we'll get to the album bit. You guys, you guys, you're so desperate to skip to the the album section of the show. Look, we, we've got the battle for the podium, which um, I think it's correct. The race director really wasn't looking at Hamilton or, um, or Verstappen throughout the race. It was all focused on this battle for the podium. And I, and I think, you know, if we can focus on where that was won and lost, Matt, it looked like Ricardo was in control of it. Then as the pit stop started to shuffle and shake out, you went, oh, hang on a minute. Norris and Perez have got a big, big tyre advantage here. We, of course, know what happened to, to Norris in the end, but it looked like it was game one for a Perez-Ricardo battle in the final few laps of the race. Yeah, it did. And that brings us conveniently to the last place the race was won and lost, which would be the safety car restart, which killed that battle you're talking about. That battle was brought on by the virtual safety car caused by Kimi Raikkonen being an out of control old man yelling at clouds into turn one and just literally using George Russell as his extra set of brakes so he could get through the turn. Wait a minute, we haven't had our kangaroo court yet. Whose fault is it? How can you possibly say it's Kimi Raikkonen's fault when we haven't even decided whose fault it was? All right, let's go around the panel. Uh, Kyle Power, um, we saw, I think, here the classic uh, scenario we were talking about at the beginning of the show with turn one. So we saw everything. We saw tyres locking up. We saw the understeer, the soaring at the wheel to try and open the 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 tyres and get them reconnected, getting them to do their job. But unfortunately, there was a George Russell in the way of that process. Yeah, um, with the Raikkonen thing, he went in and, as you say, is suffering, is trying to crank on a load of um, a load of lock to try and get over the understeer. But then just as the gradient was changing, he then had a big swapper on. He had a big snap of oversteer. He had to steer into it. And that's what then dinked Russell straight um oh yeah straight oversteer as well. so he had oversteer it was an oversteer moment for Raikkonen but he was massively understeering into that position cranking the lock on because he didn't have much option to take the lock off at that point he had to try to crank it on and then it swapped on him and he and he punted straight into Russell so yeah 100% Kimmy's fault I, I do like the way you described the fact that he nearly flipped Russell over as dinked <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> it's a love tap no no I think that's a fair point I was sat there going Oh my gosh, that's got to hurt. You're strapped into a Formula One car with very little give and move. It's not got the suspension of my per- Peugeot 2008 over speed bumps. The bloke is like a meter. One of the tires is like a meter off the ground and he's come down and gone, boom. That's got to hurt, Jeansy. That's got, you got a sore bum there. It's funny. When it comes to whose fault is it, we try to be fairly even across the team on who thinks whose fault it is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Russell even gave him more room than necessary. 
he, he turned left before turning right into the corner to give Kimmy more room, and Kimmy still hit him. Um, so yeah, un- unfortunately, the old boy on his record-breaking race, where he's got the most races of all time, um, had a had a shocker. Yeah, the participation award, Kyle. Yeah, um, I think we've seen in recent years. Um, Kimmy has been well known to be have a few sort of uh, clumsy incidents with people wheel to wheel. He's getting a bit of a habit for that in his uh, later career, but everybody loves Kimmy because he ate an ice cream once. So those moments are never, <laughs> ever sake. remembered. God's sake, Carl. That's tickled me. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the participation award for Kimmy Raikkonen not going well on his 3000th Grand Prix match. No. Although he did beat Barrichello, as you mentioned, for the record, which I guess, well, okay. Um, but that virtual safety car did cause the top three uh, runners um, at that point. I think the top three runners. It was Hamilton. It was yeah. Hamilton, Verstappen, and Ricardo. Yeah. To try and take advantage of the virtual safety car period to get a cheap pit stop out of the way on lap um, 16, I believe. And it worked absolutely for Verstappen and Hamilton. But about halfway through the virtual safety car went off while Ricardo was in the pits and he wound up, I think coming out like maybe ninth place or something like that. So it set up an interesting dynamic because he was off tires compared to the people he was chasing, but he did save some time on his pit stop. And that brings us to the safety car, which was the third place the race was won and lost. And you mentioned it and it was absolutely true. Yeah, man, I think that was a showbiz safety car. So I'm happy to be corrected. Turns out I'm not a leading expert in marshalling or, you know, racing safety or whatever. So this is just like a pundit point of view, Carl. But the crane was behind the barrier. It seemed to be, you know, there. The extension arm could go and get him. We'd already had a virtual safety car used to good effect. I'm just getting a feeling that Massey likes a safety car. And I, I wouldn't go out and blame him, but it was a showbiz safety car to my mind. I'm I'm inclined to agree, actually. I was very surprised when it was the full safety car. Where the car was parked, there was a tractor. They would have needed three marshals maybe out there, one to hook it up, one to guide it, and one to be the banksman and spotting. As they got it through, they could have covered that under a virtual safety car. But hey, a full racing, a full safety car, they can get the lap cars out of the way. They can cool the tyres down a bit, so there's a bit of a drama on the restart um um i was surprised it was a full virtual safety car so i'm 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 not usually one for these conspiracy theories but i vsc versus full safety car i think there might be a bit of traction in that one i think um having the safety car out for as long as it was today is a really good argument to say no more safety cars red flag the race stop fix it put everyone else back on track we don't lose any laps and do a standing start because that worked really really well the last couple of races we had red flags all we did was waste the race by having a safety car out for as long as it was. Okay, so I will be the voice of dissent here. And it's very easy to look at that. But there's two things to consider. One is that unlike Russell, I think Norris, even though he parked fairly far off track, uh, my memory is it was about the exit of turn four, was in a position where someone out of control might have run into him. But I think the real issue was the fact that, you know, his car was on flambe, as it were. It was on fire, and that needed to be dealt with, and that meant more marshals, and that meant marshals had to come from other places, and that meant the safety car. And as much fun as the red flag restart was at Magello, 
let's do recall that the lapped cars were sent around to run an extra lap, which meant they were on nice hot tires yeah. relative to the front runners, and that the safety car, although it had a similar issue, and now here is a place where you might disagree, where they sent the runners, the lapped cars around, and they waited an extra lap for them to catch all the way back up to the tail of the dragon which I'm not sure I agree with that late in the race because I've seen them not wait for that. Uh, And it surely put everyone uh, out of the top six at a pretty severe disadvantage on the restart. I think you've got to wait for them, Kyle. Otherwise, effectively, that car seven in that scenario becomes like another mini safety car. And then you've got like two restart battles going on. So what do you say to the guy who's half a lap behind? All right, Pierre, you're not with the safety car bunch but they can't overtake you till the start finish line. So now you become the safety car as well. And all the time they're messing around doing that, the leaders are catching back up to them anyway. Uh, Yeah, I agree. It's good to let them go. But as Robert said, I was surprised that they left it, which is again, making me think that it was a bit of a competition caution aspect to it because they were, they were leaving it an extra lap to let them get all the way through where in the past they haven't done that. They've given them, they've given them like, one lap, like half a lap and gone that lap. And they've only managed to get sort of 20, 30 seconds up the road and still been off the back of the pack. Um, yeah, I, I actually agree with you on that one. I do think that they were very conscious of the spectacle as they were throwing that safety car. And yes, Norris's car could have, was maybe on fire and a bit smoldering. A five, six lap full safety car? Don't think so. Yeah. All right. That's an, enough on the, on the safety car. I, I want to cover this while it's in my head. We had the George Russell reaction and we had... Lando Norris on the on the radio. Now I still think, and correct me if I'm wrong, to our non UK viewers, there's still very kind of British, you know, first, you know, Second World War fighter pilot perception of what we are like under pressure. Like, oh, oh, but Jesus, that um, that 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 plane seems to have knocked off my propeller. Whilst I'm going down, boys, smoke me a kipper. I'll be back for breakfast. Uh, let's see if I can get out of this one in one piece. Okay, ta-ta, Jim. You know, that's the perception sometimes of of Brits in these kind of situations. Um. George Russell did nothing to assuage that stereotype, did he? When he was when he was absolutely hammered by Kimi Räikkönen, he's gone. Oh dear, blimey! What's he gone and done there? That was awfully silly. And then carries on his merry way. He's feeding that stereotype, isn't he? But uh, Lando Norris, actually normally quite cool and chipper um, on the radio, this time actually quite stressed, Alex. And you could, uh, you know, the, the the big strain showed when they said, "All right, D twelve." Uh, default, these girls don't even know the name of my band, Chicka Chicka Slim Shady, reset, press the go button. And he's like, I already did that. He's not doing anything. And you go, oh, that's a human reaction. But actually, we've not really seen that from Norris before. He was acting like me when we're doing the pre the prep for this show where nothing works and we can't understand why. And I'm like, I've already done that. Yeah, he. These, we see him... The funny Lando in practice, because he can be funny Lando in practice, but um, no, the car was broken and um, he wasn't happy about it. And he was like, I pressed all the buttons and nothing's working. Please do something about it. I think he knew his race was run, um, but he did a really good job to manage to keep up the pace while still having an argument about different settings. So um, still well done to Lando, but yeah, he's definitely not cool and calm when it comes to those situations. <laughs> he, he did do all the things, Matt. He did up, up, down, left, right, BA start. Nothing happened. He didn't go into cheat mode. He didn't go into God mode. You say that. Frankly, what it did was remind me very much of your reaction when uh, Alex here moved his camera like 22 seconds before we went live to air. 
it was hilarious. And I do feel for Norris because the team starts out like, oh, just uh, just reset default zero, default zero. Okay, we need you to default zero on every straight. Okay, we need you to default three. Okay, now we need you to default three after every corner, at which point he went, my brain is going to explode because <laughs> yeah. like there are a lot of corners on this and it's not <laughs> always easy to flip the rotary three things and hit two buttons and then hit the third button to make that default happen because because yeah, yeah yeah and and i do feel for him he's like nothing's happening but my counter argument would be his race engineers like well you should see your lap times if you didn't do that it's <laughs> going to be worse kyle yeah and just a mention for the for the sit at home fan and the and the fandom hypocrisy i haven't seen anybody criticizing Lando Norris for throwing his toys out the pram and being a bit of a dummy on the radio. No one has. It's fine because it's Lando. Just a shout out to the hypocrisy there. And also, you know, in his battle with Perez, which, by the way, Van Gene, uh, we're going to get back to the Perez-Ricardo battle. But Lando's battle with Perez, he was brilliant. I mean, Perez was... Uh, I, I, I really do wish he was a bit more aggressive at times, but I, I understand his risk-reward setting is a bit lower than the likes of, say, Albon and Verstappen and Ricardo. Um, but Lando did a great job holding him off. And then, you know, on the radio, don't talk to me. I'm I'm racing, dude, I'm racing. And uh, you do wonder, you know, do the engineers not train in like, I will only speak to you on a straight or something like that. But Lando, yeah, showing his feelings there. Yeah, Lando's shown time and time again, his racecraft is phenomenal. Um, but to be fair, I was well impressed with Perez when it came to racecraft today. And uh, the last couple of races, we've seen him get, really really feisty which is which is yeah. uncommon but he's for, not for sergio so he did a fantastic move around the outside in the first in the first section in the first sector today so that was fantastic so but it, i don't think um, it suits him i don't think that's his comfort zone it's something that's coming coming out of him a little bit later i don't, I don't know he just hasn't been because, elbowsy because it doesn't look after the tires and yeah. i think that's all that goes through perez's head is i must protect the tires i must protect the tires it's like he's. It's like it's a decree that he's had that he has to protect this particular set of tires, otherwise something someone will get hurt. Um, but no, to be fair, Perez has done really well. Perez yeah. has done really well. He's actually. He's. I think he's performed better this last few races than he has done maybe ever. I, no, I. I don't know. I don't quite agree. Like you, you know, I'm uh, Perez Fossi, Matt, but yeah. he he doesn't seem to, or he doesn't start a season dynamically and well enough for me. To, to get fully ever fully excited on a success train and again even though we're seeing like really good performances now uh he's got the full package from racing point he's now the lead driver in the team so he'll get the super duper upgrades that are coming next presumably <clears throat> or they'll find another reason or there'll be no upgrades um it's too little too late you know we're into race 13 for him to start stretching his legs and, and finding form which i think he is um i'm left a little disappointed overall well, I can understand your disappointment to a certain extent, but Perez is more of a Prost than a Senna. Okay, now that's at fair. The, at, the, at the end of, he makes a calculation about how much to take out of his tires, about how fast to push, and whether or not the pass is worth it. And that can be, for a fan of the wheel-to-wheel -wheel action, a little bit boring. But if you're talking about a whole season and an entire championship, you really do need someone who's going to think like that pretty much all the time. So I said at the top of the show that I was going to say Perez was robbed by the safety car. And okay. I'm waiting for this argument. I know, but I've, I've just, I've, I've talked myself out of it. <laughs> I've talked myself out of it already. Okay, let me give, but what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to well, go, you I, go. I, 
well, you know, because I'm responsible for the where the race was won and lost, that I did go and look at the statistics. And when the safety car was called, yeah, okay. Perez was running uh, anywhere from a half a second to a second and a half faster than Ricardo. Yeah, I was watching. He was 12 seconds back with 15 laps to go. And the major question is because his tires were younger Wait, at the safety than car Ricardo. Point, sorry, at the safety car point, it was about nine seconds when the safety car came out. The gap. Believe me, I was watching it very closely. But, okay. The, the last lap that I looked at, which was the start of lap 45, which might have been before the safety car came out, it, it looked to be about 12, 12 and a half seconds. That's the last one I remember seeing. I could go look at my iPad now. But even at that, even at that, it was a question of how much it was going to take out of Perez tires to catch Ricardo versus how much of his tires Ricardo was saving by only going as fast as he barely had to. Yes. So what I saw in the cards was from maybe the last three to five laps, Perez within a second or two and having a go at Ricardo on tires of unknown ability. Without the safety car, we'd have seen a better battle between Perez and Ricardo. So I don't know whether Perez would have got Ricardo, but I definitely believe he would have been in fighting distance, which when they both came out of the pits on the same tyres, and that Renault is arguably better than the the racing point right now, um, I think that's what killed Yeah, Perez lost his advantage, potential advantage. Well, he, he, I don't know that he lost his advantage, because we don't know how much of his tires he would have lost over that gap. Let's say none. Let's say literally none. What we would have seen... Oh, are we doing this? Are we going to do no, this after all these years? we're not. Fine. Okay, fine. What we would have seen is a three to five lap battle at the very, very end of the race for the last podium position. And the safety car absolutely took that away from us. That's not an argument. I think with other drivers, we might have been, oh, we don't know how the tires would be. But it is Sergio Perez, who is a bit of a tire whisperer. Mm-hmm. And I fully believe in Perez's ability to get the right pace out of the car at the right time on the tires and keep the tires in place. Anyone else, it would have been questionable, but I, I do have faith in Sergio to get that kind of performance correct. No, I, I think, I think Matt has a point. How often do we see a gap being closed? And then as it gets to like six, four, you know, five, four, I got, I can't believe I counted down in the wrong order accidentally, but as we get down to the, the closer gaps, Seven, the car 12, in front, one. The, are we really going to do this, Matt, after all these years? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, as it gets down, the the guy in the wing, he's looking at the car in the wing mirror, starts being able to push, having saved the tyres. So that's a fair point. But actually, I was going to go away from Perez being robbed because through the course of this discussion, I'm reminding myself that, look, Ricardo did something brilliant that Perez didn't do brilliant. So Ricardo had Leclerc and Perez had Lando Norris as corks in front of them. And the fact of the matter is... Ricardo dispatched uh, Leclerc and Perez failed to dis- dispatch Norris. Now, you can argue about the relative merits of those battles and who had the ch- the higher challenge. The thing is, though, Alex, Ricardo did make that move and he did break away and he did get ahead. And Perez spent lap after lap after lap stuck behind Norris. And really, that's why Ricardo was on the podium and Perez wasn't. Yeah, and he got he took the early pit stop, which meant he had the performance as well to go and push and get the gap, which then Perez didn't get the uh, ability to because he then pitted underneath the safety car. So it's not entirely fair. Unfortunately, the battle for third place 
was decided by a safety car and a virtual safety car, not necessarily by the absolute performance of those two cars and those two drivers and the tyre strategies they were on. But then if I'm going to be pedantic and annoying, I will point out that Ricardo was able to take partial advantage of the virtual safety car because he got round those drivers and was yeah. closer to the leaders yeah. than was Perez. Okay. Well, you know, it hurts me to admit that. But look, Daniel Ricardo is a, uh, a top flight driver and Renault have amazing momentum. So you know, no surprise, Van Gene, to see Renault taking advantage of uh, a bit of attrition and getting on the podium. But in the same vein where we say, I trust Perez to get to the end of the race on a particular set of tyres at the pace he carries, I completely trust Daniel Ricciardo to make the right move at the right time and get past. So they both played to their particular strength today, but Perez had his taken away. All right, who wants to talk about the tattoo? Go on, who's who's going to... Oh, Kyle, yes. Scott, Kyle, hang on. First of all, who on this panel has tattoos? It's just Matt, isn't it? Oh, I don't no, think... I've got tattoos. Well, I don't know why that doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, if you had neck tattoos, I would not be surprised either. But Carl, uh, I've got one on the back of my neck. <laughs> it doesn't count. Uh, yeah, the tattoo thing. So um, I've actually done a tweet about this, which is brave for me. I don't do Twitter as a rule, but you are but, on um, Twitter at Carl but, Power F1. Yes, yes, indeed. And I and I I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I genuinely think that um, Ricardo should make. Cyril get an I heart Christian tattoo on his left oh, bottom cheek. I just think that would be the best tattoo ever. I've shared a tweet. I've tagged the minute. Give it some traction. I think it's a, an opportunity too good to be missed, really. I think that's too funny not to do. Or just Christian's face on his butt cheek. Yeah. Christian Horner's face and his body in Lederhosen. Uh, is, is that German or oh, is that I'm just that's German as well, isn't it? Matt? If it's going to be Christian Horner, it has to be that naked picture of him from the magazine. The, oh, the one of him draped on a red sports car in uh, in just pants, I think. Yeah, I agree. No, I think it's it should darkers. be. I think it should be that. I think it should be that. Look, I've got I've got mates who got tattoos for bets. It's a, a terrible, terrible, terrible idea, and uh, you should never ever make a bet like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, great to see Daniel Ricciardo on the podium. Fantastic to see he was so delighted with it that he completely forgot to do his, his shoey. Uh, you know, that's yeah. your trademark thing, Matt. How can you forget to do your, your one thing? Well, when it's two degrees outside and the guy next to you hits you in the face with a full spray of champagne, then you might forget to do a shoey. Uh, but I, it was interesting to see him say that it was like his first podium yeah. ever. It's a big and deal was, with Renault, yeah. And it was a thing, like, even if you are not a Renault fan, it was hard not to feel really good about seeing them finally get this result. Yeah, and there's Renault fans out there. I've heard. There are, right? Have we got Renault fans? Like, is there anyone Maybe. out there who's like a Renault fan who's like, you I am... Kyle is. Kyle, really? Are you, are you just doing that to be difficult? I'm doing that to be different and how you describe me sometimes, maybe. Uh, and I've con- also got some merch. I've actually got some Renault really? merch. You're just a contrarian hipster. That's the only reason to support <laughs> Renault. Kyle, uh, Alex... <laughs> See, I'm not a Renault fan, but when they came back in and they weren't doing fantastically well, I was like, don't underestimate Renault. They've been to this game before. They've been to the top of the championships in the past, and they're very much capable of doing it. And they've done it with this particular team as well. So I'm not surprised to see Renault where they are, even if I'm not really bothered that they're up there. Oh, Especially because Danny's leaving anyway. I mean, Matt, every season you've been predicting a Renault resurgence and, um, you know, broken clock is twice right a day and all that kind of thing. Could this be 
you know, now setting ourselves up for a, a great 2021 for Renault and uh, Ricardo making a terrible decision to move to McLaren. Maybe you're finally right, Matt, about Renault. It could be, uh, but I'll tell you what we are absolutely setting ourselves up for this year would be uh, Renault finishing third in the manufacturer's championship. That would be huge. Back to look at the yeah. points right now, they are at 114 in fifth versus McLaren at 116 and racing point at 120. So that all those promises Cyril made, they might actually come true this year. And what a good race for the uh, chairman of Renault to be there talking to Red Bull about power units. When talking yeah. about being a Renault fan, um, Patrick Walsh in the chat room says, can you be an Enstone fan um, and <laughs> yeah. not a Renault fan? I'm only kidding. I'm only messing with the Renault people, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that comment. It's Team Enstone. Um, but one thing we want, I think everybody, regardless if you're a Renault fan or not, everybody wants to see a competitive Renault because that's another major manufacturer that you want to see in the sport. Yeah. You want to see them making, getting their returns. Their chairman was there. You want, they're the people who are signing off these vast quantities and amounts of money to pay for this. And you want to see them competitive. And there's another reason we want to see them competitive is a certain Spaniard coming back next year who's going to be in that car and love him or hate him. We want to see him in those fights at the front because there is guaranteed to be spicy and you want Renault to be a nice sort of um, a nice plate of rice that you're going to pour that spice all over. And they are brewing themselves up quite nicely at the moment to be that. So everybody should be a Renault fan at the moment. We want to see them do well. We've got one more topic on our list, and that is Alexander Alban. And then we're going to move to our podium give out some awards and be home in time for a Kipper breakfast. Uh, so uh, the guys there touched on some of the news of uh, Red Bull talking to Renault. Yeah, it does appear they were talking to Renault. I'm sure that is one of the options. I just want to cut off any emails before people say that is contrary to what we tweeted earlier uh, in the week. We tweeted that um, Christian Horner was going to go and see uh, uh, sits in the in the Austrian offices to specifically ask for funding to go and overtake uh, to take over the Honda factory, and then possibly there was further talk, which is which was less concrete from our our sources that you can either trust or not trust. It's up to you. Um, that said that it was going to be a, a, a Mugen. Am I pronouncing that right? Mugen, 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 yeah, Mugen. As far as I know, uh, yeah, rebadged perhaps as Mugen, um, and so be Re- uh, Red Bull Mugen. And that was that's what our sources were telling us that meeting was about. How it ends up, you know, panning out and what decision they pick, you know, who knows? You know, if Renault is starting to look competitive, could be a good option for Red Bull. But it would be exciting to see a competitive Red Bull old Honda package come back into the freight. Alex, quick one. Yeah, no, I'm 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 fully on board with that. I I believe Red Bull's first port of call is taking over that Honda. I think that's option one is taking over the Honda Power Unit development, and option two is to then take a Renault. Yeah, to further that as well, um, I think it was about three or four years ago, Honda actually bought a quite a large premises in Milton Keynes yeah. Yeah. to ha- help their engine development. They have had an awful lot of, um, they've put an awful lot of capital, they've got an awful lot of overheads, and they've set some of the facilities up. So I think that number one option is looking very promising for Red Bull. Okay, and I was hoping that we would skip over that so that I was going to say we can do a deep dive into that on our new show next week in between this and the the Portuguese Grand Prix as well. But yeah, really interesting to see uh, where Red Bull go. 
if you're watching this on the video, I have been criticised for not pushing the video enough. Could you, and I hate doing this, but this is what YouTubers do. Hey guys, could you like and subscribe? I don't think I've ever done that in the whole time we've been YouTubing. Like and subscribe, please, at this YouTube channel. It really does help, and it's been stupid of me to not say, hey, click the like button. Do subscribe to us. You'll get notifications when we go live. And please, share the video version with your friends as well. I know a lot of people, they say if they're free on a Sunday, they'll watch the race reviews live, but then they'll listen to the podcast version when it comes to the new shows and stuff like that. And please do uh, share your stuff on uh, our stuff on social media. People say, oh, I've only got 50 followers. It doesn't matter. Uh, it won't do anything. It really does. That kind of word of mouth is the only way we've managed to grow Missed Apex podcast. We have got ambition for 2021. We're always trying to get great guests on. We do anything we can to spread the word. But honestly, it's the army of listeners going out there and just saying to a couple of mates, hey, you, you like F1. Check out this Missed Apex podcast. It's, it's great. They, you can live, you can chat live with them. You know, you don't even have to listen to that annoying Spanners fella. It's just got a good chat room. And then, of course, if you want to really, really support us uh, and help us bring to fruition some of the very ambitious plans we have, we would be grateful if you would join our army of patrons. Uh, be the 700, 707th patron right now by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. The idea is that you have a micro payment there uh, every month, which you can kind of forget about. It's off to the side, but you know you're supporting us and we get this steady income that we can do things with. If a cable breaks, we can replace a cable. If we need to upgrade a part, we can upgrade a part and we don't have to stress and cry about it. Um, it's None of that goes on Trumpet's whiskey. No, in, in fact, it all goes um, because I've already made that down payment on the Koenigsegg to get back and forth to all the races right. on the continent. Right. Okay. Well, we, well, we so, definitely uh, need yeah, it now. Let's yeah. do that, please. <laughs> because, man, the next payment is a doozy. It's a balloon payment. Is it the next one? You've, you've been shysted. Um, right. Uh, but no, on, in a serious note, when uh, when you support us on Patreon, Patreon, all that goes to running costs. But if you want to do a tip jar, uh, that helps us too. You can specifically say, I want to, to add to Matt's whiskey fund, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar. Or as some people have done, actually, they've sent us Amazon vouchers so they know it won't get spent on booze and it will get spent on equipment. And when people do that, it's great because we have a little war chest of equipment and upgrades. And the reason where we're better and the shed has improved and Matt's facilities have improved is because you guys support us. Patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Oh, I forgot to say what you get. Oh, I should do that quickly. Yeah, the lowest tier of the support, you get rid of the ads on the feed. Um, and then the $5 tier, you can come join us in a patron Slack group. There's extra patron live streams and stuff that are, are a bit more relaxed. Not extra content, just a bit of uh, hangout time. Um, yeah, it's all right. People seem to enjoy it. They don't complain too much. Alban, he complained, didn't he, Kyle? Alban complained. Why are they... I know people are, people are <laughs> going to say I'm an Alban hater. I'm just going to have to take it on the chin because there's... I need to criticise him today. I'm just going to have to take it on the chin, people saying that, oh, you're an Alban hater and you're, you, you're a terrible person. But they're racing me so hard. Why do they race me so hard? You can't. You can't say that, Kyle. Tell me, defend him. Why? How can uh, you say that? Well, in his defence, the money comes from the same the same person. They are technically teammates, but they're kind of not. And in the spirit of Formula One, you don't want teams to be 
complete B teams of other teams. They don't want that. So I'm surprised he said that because it's kind of inferring that they will they will submit to to Red Bull, the, the considered number one yeah, team. Bad, but, um, yeah. but but yeah, he shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place, really. He was in that situation because he locked up and ruined his tires in the first stint. Yeah. So so let's be very clear about this. He made a lunge to try and regain the place. He lost to Ricardo, had a massive lockup, didn't get the place back, and was basically, I think, down to the canvas on that left front tire uh, when he came in early. So this put him out in amongst his uh, B-team compatriots. And now the question I have for you, Kyle, because I can't remember based on the race. Did he make that comment after the Kvyat thing or after the Gasly thing? Gasly. Yeah, I believe it was after the Gasly thing. It was like, why are they racing me so hard? So it was the second one he was coming up against. Yeah, I mean, fair enough uh, for the for the Kvyat thing, especially because Kvyat totally missed the chicane. He might have been surprised that he kept the foot that much in it. Although I think Kvyat might have been surprised whoa, 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 he moved whoa. over that early. Matt, you're breaking so procedure. I, th- I know that's a... You're breaking procedure. Whose fault is it? We don't know whose fault it is. Let's talk about whose fault it is then. So you think you're not blaming Albon for that? Madness. I, I'm not not blaming <laughs> Albon for it. I'm just saying, like, I, I could see where you could make an argument on either side of that. You, you tro- especially given that they're sister teams. I mean, like, look, it's one thing if that was a Mercedes driver there. Uh, but I mean, come on, Kvyat misses the chicane. Albert has a huge run on him, and Kvyat, like, just does that thing that drivers who have basically been passed do sometimes. Like, well, I'll just go fast and not get out of your way, oh, even no. though I could give you the racing line. Oh, Kyle. Okay, I got, Kyle, I'm, I'm, I'm triggered. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, he he got back onto the track. He's in control of his car. Yes, Albert's going to go past him, but you get back up to racing speed, don't you? Albert's just driven into him. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, that was uh, Albon's misjudgment and also not arrogance, but it was like, I'm in the main car. I'm going to chop across you. It was a, definitely a decisive trying to say, I'm the boss in this one and try and yeah. chop across. It was too aggressive to to chop across. Now, they probably all have an agreement, whereas, um, you know, the Toro Rosso drivers are probably told, you can race them, but just don't make life too difficult. And Kvyat wasn't making life too difficult. He's trying to... No recover from a mistake he hasn't swerved over to try to block him he's just left him there Albon simply tried to be Billy big spherical objects and and tried to <laughs> slam one down on him and he's tried to move over and he's just misjudged it slightly that's the only that's it's just unfortunate and well so I love well, well Carl washes his mouth out with soapy water we'll hear from Vanjie I love that Carl's tried to say that it wasn't arrogant, then got on to explain why it was arrogant. Um, it was very much like, you know, if, you, if you're in a kart race and you stick your arm out to tell the other person to slow down, that's basically what that was. Um, Carl's just, done that like, to me. Could... Carl's done that to me. Uh, <laughs> he's, that's the and, and then what did you do? Move. Hang on. And then what did you do when he did it? I was so intimidated that I stopped trying to overtake him. But then two races later, I did stick one down the inside and slam into <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and punted me. <laughs> Use him as yeah, a break. He, Albon has come across Albon has come across to take his racing line as if Kvyat was never there in the first place. Um and I'm sorry you just can't do that. So here is relative to Gasly where I feel like I have a real point which is that Kvyat was only there because he absolutely skipped the chicane and if you skip a chicane and maintain an advantage on track 
you have to give that position back. I don't think Albon ever expected Kvyat to even be remotely that close to him because he knew at the point at which he took that escape route that he was going to have to give the position up to Albon. So unlike Gasly, in the very unfortunate quote on the radio, I'm a little more willing to say that it was just a misunderstanding between Albon and Kvyat. Okay. Okay. But it's definitely Albon's fault, Alex. Um, maybe Albon thought because Kvyat went across the grass, he had a 38-second, two-second slowdown. Um, therefore, had to slow down to let him pass because he's been playing far too much iRacing. It's far too much sim racing. People love the iRacing references. You so, love iRacing. So that's good. That's iRacing good that isn't got... real life. It's meaningless. We got comments definitely telling us that people love us talking about iRacing. So I'm continuing to talk about iRacing. Let's talk about Albon. Um, you're right. He was saying, hey, to both those guys, I'm the Red Bull driver. You're just the junior drivers. And saying they race me so hard. The optics on that are so, so bad. Like he, he just, that is entitlement leaking through. And, and some of his critics, all right, that's me. Some of his critics, Matt, might go, you've really not shown enough this season to outwardly display that level of entitlement. Matt, then Kyle. Yeah. And I'm, it's hard to argue with you, except for this one phrase keeps coming back to my head. Your teammate is on a different tire strategy. Let them buy. Albon was on a different tire strategy than Gasly entirely. They're if not, he had they're a not decent teammates. run on him, I just don't see the long-term advantage for either of them for that battle to happen. Now, obviously, they are on different teams. They're not teammates. They're not, but they're not quite teammates, but they're not not teammates either, right? And we have seen, we have, I have seen, I, I recall George Russell letting Lewis by without a fight, and remarkably, it took uh, three or four corners for Vettel to get by him. So it's not unknown for sister teams and, <laughs> and manufacturer partners to make mm. life harder for other teams than they do for their friendly teams, Quick one, so Kyle. to speak. Quick one from you, Kyle. Yeah, also, you kind of forget who their team boss is. You've got Franz Toss there and Alpha Tauri, who is known for being brutal with drivers and probably think so. If they didn't fight too hard, they're probably going to have Franz knocking on their motorhome door. Yeah. Just about to, you know, throw several rounds of bad swear words into them if they didn't fight hard. So they have, they have, they have a duty to fight and, and drive properly. You talk about entitlement. I don't think it's entitlement. I think it's frustration. Sure. I think he's in a position where he shouldn't be. He knows he shouldn't be there. He knows he is now under the biggest of microscopes and he doesn't need to be fighting with his sister, sister teammates. Um, he needs to be getting on and getting back up to the podium positions where he should be in that car because that's where his teammate is. Uh, so that third place should have been him. We'll double back to Albon in a second, but Gasly looks so fighty uh, Every time we see him this year, he looks fighty, he looks aggressive, he looks a thousand percent on it. I just can't imagine that you could even tell Gasly to let Alban through or don't fight him too hard. I don't think that would work this season. No, um, I don't think it would. And he's been he's been rejuvenated. And also on Gasly, he was probably one of my, apart from Hulkenberg, my, my man of the race, really, because he was in pure stealth mode. The whole race, you hardly ever saw, you just didn't see him and all of a sudden he crops up bang is right in the middle of the points yeah good drive and um jason josh josh covey sorry in the chat says look uh, those two drivers that we're talking about that should apparently not race him too hard they're racing him for that seat 
that's what they're after. And in a worse car, if they can go wheel to wheel with him, then, you know, that's that's what they're going to do. Not necessarily what they should do, Matt. I don't think they're racing him for that seat. I think they're racing to get him out of that seat because I don't see Gasly going back no. to that. Now seat. then. So uh, Paul DeResta on the Sky, uh, what's it, on the Sky program afterwards said that there was an argument. Did he say Did he say there was an argument between... No, no, he said that Gasly had fallen out He's, somewhat with uh, Newey. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, not, not with Newey, not with Horner, not with Marco, not with Max. He just said that he didn't get on with someone. Oh, right, 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 right. Someone at Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did dig in. I did dig in. I did, I did some sleuthing and I, I just instantly like emailed out because he said, oh, that's the talk of the paddock. So I just emailed out to uh, to the paddock, to, to the paddock journalists, uh, some team members just to see what I would get back. And apparently, and so you can take this with a pinch of salt, the argument was with, uh, was with specifically Adrian Newey and it was about why the second Red Bull wasn't handling for him as well as it wanted to. And um, and that was before then Albon came in and replaced him. So it could be that he's burned some bridges at Red Bull. So whilst I was sitting there, Carl, and saying, oh, yeah, no, Gasly's going to replace Red Bull. We didn't know that basically, you know, Gasly had kind of already done for himself um, and wasn't in line for that, wasn't in line for that seat. That plays true to what Red Bull was saying at the time last year they were saying that maybe Pierre needs to look at himself and his attitude maybe they they made a sole string of comments that were inferring that that exact scenario had actually happened that Gasly couldn't make the car work and he was blaming the team and the design of the car why he couldn't do it rather than adapting his style and the team took exception to that that all plays true to exactly what you've just said yeah I absolutely recall that being a main feature of the first half of the season when Gasly was in that seat and much like Albon, came under intense criticism very rapidly for not being as fast as Max Verstappen or doing as well as Max Verstappen. You look at his actual results, it's not like they were terrible. And it's not like Albon did significantly better. I mean, they they both performed kind of equally in that second team. The one thing I do want to point out, though, it's just a tiny thing. And it's just because someone in the chat provoked me, if I'm being honest, is that when he retired, Albon was only 10 seconds back of Ricardo. So it's not like he was out of the race, even though he had that um, contretemps with Gasly, as it were. Arguably, even though he's had more races, Albon is actually doing a worse job than Gasly did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I assume no. that. I haven't looked at the stats, but it, fa- it certainly feels like Nope. That. Nope. Okay. They're, they're pretty much dead on, honestly, we do between a full qualifying on, and yeah. finishing position. Okay. Well, let's do a full on. feels. Let's do a full-on comparison in, in, in the news show there. Um, but the, the paddock, from my feedback, um, seems to think that Albon's done now. And that I'm getting the impression that more and more people are getting the feeling that Albon is fully done. Uh, it's just a weird situation at Red Bull where they've got two drivers at Toro Rosso that they're not going to promote. It seems, it feels like. Kvyat was there simply to not embarrass their Red Bull Junior program. They had to have a Red Bull Junior in there. So Kvyat came in. Don't think there was ever a chance of him going back to Red Bull. And now if what we're hearing is true, that he's burnt, Gasly has also burnt bridges at Red Bull, then we are looking at an external character coming in for the 2021 season. You know, even if, even if they bring fresh blood in through the Red Bull program, they're going to go to Toro Rosso. They're not going to jump straight into Red Bull. So Hulk or Perez to Red Bull, I don't think that sounds crazy anymore. No, and what they actually really need in Red Bull, and they haven't had since they got rid of Danny, well, not got rid of since since Danny Ricardo moved, 
is stability in that second seat. They have a star driver in Max, but they haven't got stability in the team. And it's been doors and they keep relying on their young junior program. But at the moment, who have they really got coming up? There's Sonoda, who's uh, who's who's affiliated with Honda. Obviously, Honda now leaving the sport. That might not happen. And anyway, he'll go into a tour. So what they need is another stable hand in there. And Hulkenberg is probably the right guy in my mind. Okay. Uh, Let's not stray too far from race review territory. Alex? And how long are they going to keep Max for? Because Max can't be happy that Honda's are going and he's going and he terrified will end up with another Renault, which he doesn't want. Um, he wants to get into a decent seat. If I was Max, I'd be fighting to get myself into a Merc because to be fair, who wouldn't want Max Verstappen at the moment? Um, so F1insider.com. Oh, do, who are they? At, inside, F, insider, at F1insider.com. Do we trust them? Do we know them? They've just tweeted, Marco is re- has revealed... Oh, so this is something Marco has said, that Red Bull thinks about developing its own engine on the basis of the Honda Power Unit from 2022, um, and they are also open for other competitive engines. So that seems in line with what we've been saying, uh, our tweet and what we've heard from people and the reports of the meeting today. So that's all very newsy, and we'll get to that. But Albon retiring from the race. I know, Matt, I know you're saying, oh, but he was 10 seconds back from Ricardo. Why would you retire him? As someone in the chat points out that, you know, Ricardo was 50 seconds off his teammate. But look, you've seen him essentially come close to or make contact with both the sister team cars that he shouldn't have been fighting in the first place. The reason he was down there, uh, as far as we could tell, was flat spotting both pair, both sets of tyres. And now after the race, we're hearing about problems and they've obviously retired him. But as a karting dad who was on the pit wall with my little tree face at the weekend, I nearly brought him in on the team mic. I had to warn him several times, you need to calm down. You've hit another cart there, and that was down to you being lead-footed on your right foot. You're you're skidding around corners and clipping barriers when you should be being calm and carrying a bit more speed and not being so wild. Calm down, or I'm pitting you in. And I had to say that to him two times before he actually did so. I'm wondering if they did say similar things to Albon, um, or they just got fed up of him making a bit of a spectacle of himself, Matt. I I know you're going to say it's tinfoil hat stuff but if they had retired the car simply because they were just sick of seeing his antics out there i don't know i think a lot of people would be like yeah no that sounds about right yeah sadly a lot of people will agree with that but i will just simply point out and it was pointed out in the chat that he had a five second penalty as well for the fiat thing yeah he did he that. was 15 seconds back of ricardo you don't you don't take a car out of a race when it's potentially looking at a podium and the safety car would have killed that gap and he would have been in one of the best cars he would have been on fresh tires and look Nürburgring may not be his favorite circuit when it's cold but in terms of qualifying he was closer to Verstappen than he has been that gap is still coming down and you know and and he was in with a shot to at least be part of that battle at the end especially with the safety car so you don't take a car out of that action there's a point to worth too much. I totally agree with with Matt. They just wouldn't do it. And we know that album is fantastic in later races and some of the, you know, in late race pace and some of the moves he put on. Uh, and saying they retired him because they were, didn't want to see anymore. He'd hardly had a massive shocker. He'd, he'd had two really? flat spots and a slight coming together. It was not exactly a Maldonado punting people whoa, off whoa, and having whoa, a really whoa. scrappy on, race. It Kyle, wasn't Kyle. an absolute shocker. Carl, I'm going to take issue with that. He had two flat spots. 
made contact with one of his sister team cars by driving across the nose of him, nearly took out the other one, and was off pace. Now, yes, radiator issues aside, what more would you do you need to do for you to say that was a shocker? Yeah, but it wasn't a take him out of the race shocker. He'd no, had a bit I'm of a being, clumsy yeah, yeah, yeah. race, but yeah, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what is and a hole in the radiator. Sometimes, you know, they've obviously just seen it on the data. They're losing water or they're losing water being just, just pull it in. Maybe if he was in a podium position at that time, they may have left him out and just tried to take a risk and by miracle, it might have lasted, but it was the right thing to do to get, take, take the car out. They've got the rest of the season to think of as well. Okay. I'm going to get some flack for that, but look, that's a, what a lot of the older uh, internet there was saying, Matt. So yeah, we've, we've got the, both sides of that across. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But I do want to point out his relative youth, his relative inexperience, the lack of Friday running. And what just occurs to me now, and this is the best thing about being old, is like, you know, things and you forget them. And then you remember them like you've never known them before, is the fact that he had an update on the car that made it feel significantly different to him. He was much happier with the overall balance and confidence. And what do you expect from a driver who suddenly feels very, very confident in their car? Well, I think it's exactly the kind of thing we're going to see from Albon where he suddenly feels like he can push it farther than he actually can right now. And he didn't have the Friday practice to figure out that point. My understanding is Max and Albon have the exact same parts and they have parts to choose from. Um, Very, very rarely do they turn up at the race weekend with different parts. Um, is the information that I have been given. So to say that Albon had something on the car he didn't like, he has the opportunity to change it, and that is led by the driver. I said the opposite. I said that the new parts made him feel very happy with the car, much more confident than he's been in the past. Therefore, he was taking more risk than he normally would. Okay. Okay. I think um, hole in the radiator is going to be the new, uh, I took an arrow to I took an arrow to the knee. I think that's going to be the new one. Look, look he, may, he may have had a problem that, that um, stymied his ultimate pace. I don't think there's any denying at all that... Um, that he made a bit of a of a mess in that race as well. So look, we've got the spectrum. You know, I saw lots of criticism on Twitter of him as well. So it's not just me being super mean spanners. Look, let's move on. Let's move on to the podium. And the podium is where we give out awards on Missed Apex podcast as we end the show with those said awards, Matt. You can't move on to the podium because I have nothing to interrupt you for and go back with. Oh, I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> As you were trying to interrupt me, I was like, what is that crazy old fool interrupting me with this time? So you've 100% got me. You've achieved exactly what you were aiming to do there, which was <laughs> Right. Show's over. Uh, uh, comment of the week. Comment of the week. Comment of the week is Matt winding me up there. Let's get out of here. No, awards. Um, good thing award. Okay. Uh, we have, we are running over even more than usual. So let's be reasonably quick with those awards. Uh, thing of the week, Alex Van Jean. I can only give it to one thing, and 91 wins. Matching the all-time record, it has to go to Lewis Hamilton. I don't care if it's Hamfosi. I, I on this show for this reason to praise my boy Lewis. So, um, yeah, it has to go out to Hamilton. Amazing a career achievement. Um, I I kind of agree with that. My my thing of the weekend was the, and I'm sorry if I'm going to steal this off of anybody else, um, was the Mick Schumacher handing over the helmet to Lewis and that little moment. I was, um, that's warm, fuzzy feeling territory there. That was, um, 
Yeah, that was very touching. And it was. And Lewis uh, then taking it onto the podium and, and holding it aloft. That was a really nice touch. And yeah. I'm glad he did that. And, and honestly, genuinely, I was never a Schumacher fan at the time. So I can't claim to have any kind of love of Michael Schumacher. But he's a great champion in our sport. And when Hamilton put the helmet down on the podium, uh, it was like, you know, Michael was there celebrating that podium with him or if not celebrating with him, you know, the spirit and the achievements of Michael Schumacher in the sport were there. And it was a shared moment. It wasn't Lewis Hamilton defeating Michael Schumacher. It was shared greatness, Alex. Shut up. I'm, you're not, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit like that. It was unfortunate that, I mean, there was a very close resemblance to, to like the Predator moment uh, when he was holding up the helmet in the air and lots of people have memed that. But it was. It was lovely. It was I might be one moment. of them. So it was a good thing of the weekend there, Kyle. Uh, well done. I'm going to have to give my thing of the weekend to Nico Hulkenberg. Um, just, just for all around showing his professionalism. And he basically got up to speed in the race. So even at Silverstone... He had a full weekend practice, and uh, did he do both Silverstone races? I think he did. Um, but oh, that was right. He could. He didn't start the race the first one, did he? But um, so at Silverstone, it was a track he was very familiar with, and he had loads and loads of practice days running up to it. This was jumping into a track that no one's driven since 2013, and actually in the race got up to speed very quickly. I was looking at the lap times, and he was regularly running within half a second to a second of Sergio Perez which I think is a, a massive achievement uh, when you when you compare the, the small amount of running and also not having any setup as well. So my thing of the weekend, Nico Holkenberg, Matt Two Rumpets, at MattPT55 on Twitter, Matt Trumpets on Facebook and Instagram. You are a, a blower into of brass things, era trumpets. That's why we call you that. Yeah, musician. Yeah, that's musician. call it, but yeah. artist. Your wife writes some mucky books at A Weaver Writes. So you can follow her as well. If you don't know where to find him, send me an email. I will tell you in person. MattPT55 at gmail.com. Or if you want to email any of the panel, MissedApexPodcast at gmail.com. I will forward it straight on to the appropriate panel member. Who was your thing of the weekend, Matt? Well, I'm surprised no one brought up uh, Ricardo for the podium. But my thing of the weekend, because I already talked about him more than a little bit in the show has to be the one thing we've not discussed, which is Romain Grosjean on a one-stop strategy on 20-something lap old hard tires, finishing ninth overall with a finger that was all but broken by a piece of gravel on the first lap. And I'm just going to say the words arrow screen for Sam Harper here in our Slack, because with an arrow screen, that never would have happened. Yeah, that's true. But they... The aero screens make them all look like characters from uh, that Pixar movie, Cars. So, like all the IndyCar, they've got the aero screen. They all like you should put little eyes on those aero screens. That's my only objection. Is they look like those cartoon characters. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's give Roman Grosjean some some props, some props for one for once. Uh, bad thing award. Oh no, you missed the apex. Here's where us on our sofas and sheds criticise some of the finest drivers in the world. My missed apex award goes to Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi, uh, we've got you on a video call with the previous record holder, Rubens Barrichello. Rubens, how do you feel? Oh my, oh my goodness! Oh, my record is being broken. I'm so emotional. I loved having it, but what an honour to have it go to someone so amazing like Kimi Raikkonen. Kimmy, how do you feel? I don't care. I don't care. You, you're supposed to pretend. Part of your job is to pretend to care about this stuff. It matters to us. 
So it matters to you, Alex. They even said on his radio at the end of the race, we know you don't care, but well done. So we're going to say brilliant. But we're going to say it for you because it's the appropriate and adult thing to do. So I'm going to give my mistake award to Kimi Raikkonen. And what's even better, he didn't even respond to that message. I know. <laughs> he just left it. Like, he's it's honest. Brilliant. Like, I believe him. I believe he doesn't care. But, like, dude, like, do you do that in, like, is he brutally honest? Like, even, like, at a dinner party, you know. Oh, Kimmy, are you enjoying your scallops? No, in Finland, the scallops are much better than this. You have added too much salt. This is disgusting. I would rather eat nothing and just whiskey than your... You know, does he like that? Like, he... Do you know what? I'm calling it. Kimmy Raikkonen, you cannot come to my house for dinner. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Yeah, I said it. Kyle, who missed the apex for you? Got a couple. I completely agree with your Kimmy one, to be honest. Um, <laughs> that was going to be mine. Um, <laughs> so now I'm struggling to think of another one. Um, miss the apex. Uh, a bit of a weird one that not many people probably agree with, but I'm going to say Pirelli again for not bringing soft enough tyres. Oh, yeah, but... Soft soft tyres going to lap 29. Yeah, no. but th- that was like one degree. So you're a bit harsh, Carl, but I'll give it to you since you, we put you on the spot. Uh, Alex, Gene Z, Van Gene. We've already plugged all your stuff. We're not doing it again. Who missed the Apex for you? Please like, share, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, it's um, It's got to be Albon. I mean, a biggest miss of an Apex multiple times um, today was one of those. And you could see how how much it affected him in his interview afterwards. I've never seen see someone it. take so long to walk up to the camera and actually look at the camera. Um, he he definitely seemed like someone who just had a massive telling off from his mum. Yeah, look, it was a bad day in the office for Alban. So if you're going to get angry with me, like, I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you. Like, tell me, tell me why. Holding radiator, I get that. I get that's why he was down the field. But if you really think we're being, I'm personally, and me and Alex, We've got a bit of a split on the panel, me and Alex versus Matt and Carl. Um, yeah, email us, um, mistapexpodcast at gmail.com. We're happy to get an email chain going or whatever, or come and join us in our Slack group. We'll argue about it there. Uh, support us at patreon.com forward slash mistapex. Even though Alex didn't finish the race, and Matt will be able to tell me what lap he finished on. Seven. Matt? Uh, 23, I'm guess. Lap 23. And in lap 23, he'd flat spotted two sets of tyres hit one person and nearly hit somebody else that all drive under the same banner. That's a bad race for a full race, let alone 20 odd laps. Squeezed a lot into his day, didn't he? You can't, whether you you like Alex or not, and I like Alex, you can't say that wasn't a bad day. Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex Mm. for you. This is actually kind of challenging. Um, Hmm. Because we got Alvin, maybe... I hate to say it because I don't even think it's all his own fault, but I'm going to give it to him for what he did to Magnuson Vettel. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was uh, there was a big chunk of, uh, hey, Racing Point, enjoy your new driver for next season. But that is my uh, my Serge Fossey coming, <laughs> my P. Fossey coming out there. But yeah, it's it's hard to see Perez having like a nice phase of his season and see Vettel just spinning and making mistakes and locking up and breaking into people and going, that's who's replacing Perez. All right. The, the racing point dream is over for Perez, uh, and that's the driver you're getting. No one going to give one to Bottas after nah. fighting so valiantly to have the lead back, and then, the only then reason, blew it? The only reason I was tempted was because in a post-race interview, he said, 
Oh yeah, no, it was just unlucky today. Um, if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the power unit failure, I was going to undercut him anyway, so uh, I w- I would have won. And I'm like, no, dude, no, you got rinsed, Kyle. I completely agree, and I forgot to mention it earlier, and you just reminded me. It was a uh, in Bottas's interview. He was um he was oh yeah, it was just unlucky, but it was all good fun up until that point. And and I believe he was sort of slightly relieved he could hide behind the power unit yeah. issue because he was well and truly beaten. And his comment of it was all good fun up to that point didn't really sort of wash. He was trying no. to give this impression that he was really confident of the end result and it didn't really. Which would have worked <laughs> had we not watched the race and, and what happened. Yeah. All right, um, Pony Award. Yeah, we got a bumper for Pony. I could just start hitting random buttons and hope it's right. Why break a habit of a lifetime? Here it is. Daddy, uh-huh. I <laughs> Right, Alex Van Jean, Pony Award. Lewis and Max for moaning <laughs> constantly about cold tyres and the safety car going so slowly. Um, I did feel bad for them when all of a sudden they had to slow down even more to let all the, all the um, yeah. lapped guys pass. But yeah, they got, it's like, shut up, guys. Okay, we understand it's cold. Just just crack on. We have so, got it, but, but yeah, sometimes... I, I give it to those boys. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But sometimes you wonder... Who are they talking to? Why are those they saying those things? Sometimes it's because they're just, you know, they're just showing their emotions. Sometimes it's tactical. I was thinking on the on the drive home from work today that Lewis Hamilton's comments about they're out to get me, kind of clever. I mean, yeah, you're going to cop some slack for it from an optics point of view. But I wonder how much pressure the stewards were under to not give Hamilton a pen- penalty under any circumstances. Because the next time he gets a penalty for anything, Hamilton can go, even if it's half contentious, he can just say, well, well, you know, I've said it all before. I, and I wonder if there's a steward there going, I don't want to be on all the headlines tomorrow. So I'm just going to do a, a warning. I'll send a warning down. Black and white flag. So actually, maybe it's smart. And maybe it's smart for Verstappen to give out those optics to say, I'm on cold tyres. That's why the cars coming through are going to mug me. It wasn't me, Gov. So when you're doing your podcasts and your interviews and stuff, just know it's because I had cold tyres and those guys had 18 laps to catch us up. Well, it's interesting because both he and Hamilton sounded very whiny yeah, about the safety fair. car. But they weren't necessarily wrong either because all the lapped runners basically got a lap at full speed to get their tires up to temperature. And we saw at Magello what happens when you let that happen. We so, did, yeah. While I kind of agree with the pony, it's not like they didn't have some substance there as well. True. Uh, any other ponies? No? Can we move on? Oh, Kyle? Kyle's got one and Matt's got one. Kyle first. Yeah, mine's going to be Albon's comment of they're racing me so hard after it already hit one. <laughs> and then also almost almost hit the other, I guess. I think it was the other way around. But yeah, that comment. I'm a Al- Albon fan and I've, I will defend him quite hard, but that didn't sit too well with me. Matt Trumpets. Yeah, the, the Albon was going to be my go-to as well because... Yeah, is Kyle says, as much as you're rooting for him, boy, when they picked that out and played it in isolation, it sure sounded bad, didn't it? It definitely did. And um, we've got a comment for our fantastic chat room. Of the week. Now, if you're listening back to this on the podcast or watching the video back, you might not realize that the chat room are like our constant companions. You know, when Matt goes goes on like a 10 minute soliloquy about the gear ratios of fourth gear, on the Toro Rosso down the main straight and how that changed interacting with the tyre phases of the Pirelli selection for that weekend. 
we're just chatting in the chat room and we're just hanging out. So thanks to those guys who come and hang out with us. Thank you for everyone who gets in touch with us. So uh, YouTube, like and subscribe. Please, please, please like and subscribe. Do it right now. Well, you're not uh, well, you're not busy. Come on, you're watching a YouTube video. Just like and subscribe it. All the cool kids are doing it. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Share mistapexpodcast.com everywhere you can because that has instantly a link to the audio version and it has a link to the video version. So it's a one-stop shop. Tell your friends, um, help us compete with the big boys. We'll use word of mouth while they use banks and banks of paid PR people. So uh, where were we, Matt? Comment of the week from our chat room people who keep us company. Who's given us the best comments? Well, I, I suppose I could say that Norris might have been in for a pony now that I think about it. But okay. really what I want to say is that I hammer dude and Eric Davis. Thank you for the super chat. Thank you. Donation. Uh, no, I hammer. Another I'm thing not, you can do with YouTube. I'm not thanking I hammer because his super chat was specifically for your whiskey. So I have to send you all of those Danish krona for you to spend on whiskey. Right. And now I'm going to ask exactly how much time do I have? Three and a half minutes. Bruce Seagal. Cats or kids? Herding is not a thing. We are early show discussion about getting panelists in line. Okay. Nickname my, we are just alboning you for early album discussion. That's a mucky pun. We can't have that. Yeah, just, not necessarily. Or is it just one of these things where it means worse over there than it does over here? Uh, Yeah, 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 that. Okay, fair enough. Um, Lydia Cruz, reliability down to tired, spelled like tires, components puns stop giving me puns okay fine Stuart neil lance calls the nurburgring the brown hell no 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 <laughs> these are all these are all very that's naughty not a pun. no but it's that's mu- not a pun you said no puns that's not a pun okay can we have some contenders at like a 12 year old level and above fine sure john henstra says regarding alban and gasly they're not teammates quote yet <laughs> yeah harsh yeah 2021 says hello i think we're going to go with vermin's ferrari did really well because there were lots of downhills oh god yes very harsh but that's great is that the winner yeah why not why don't we just stop it there before it gets any worse comment of the week. yeah that made me that made me laugh earlier that was better than my hamster comment as well thank you guys so much for listening to missed apex podcast and thank you for being nice to our panel in the chat, Alex Jeansy Van Jean at Alex Van Jean on Twitter, V A N G E E N, at Kyle Power F1 on Twitter. If you encourage him, if you nudge him, he will become one of the, the Twitter typey typey uh, reactionary impulsive tweeterers that he resents so much. So do it. I know he can be provoked. He's nice, but he can be easily provoked and he returns in numbers. Please follow my friend Matthew there at Matt PT. 55 on twitter matt trumpets on facebook and instagram please follow the show as well at missed apex no it's not it's at missed apex f1 on twitter and we have a facebook group missed apex podcast there on facebook come and join us and have a chat with us support us at patreon uh, patreon patreon.com forward slash missed apex and follow me at spanners ready on twitter or you can be my friend on facebook by searching for richard ready We'll see you for a news show next week. Until then, please work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Miss Apex.
we're going to get some abuse for Alburn. I know we are. I think we covered that. Uh, it was fair. Uh, well, fair. I will simply fair. put out that I think I did a entirely reasonable defense of Alburn yeah. and his performance today. Yeah. I think so. We were getting slated for defending him too much, were we not? Yeah, yeah, no, we, we but, always get slated both sides, which generally shows that we have some balance. Well, Sorry, go on, Alex. Fair, when, was the, when was the last time we actually had a go at somebody as much as we have been having a go at Albon, but mm. also in the exact same breath saying, but we really like him. <laughs> we all want him to do really, really well. But unfortunately, the fact is... It's not good enough, is he it? isn't doing very well at the moment. He has the exact same car as his teammate who is finishing second and third. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.